Open with me to the book of Daniel. I'm going to continue to worship together as we open the word together this morning. And we will begin uh, today what I believe to be uh, an 11-week journey uh, through the book of Daniel. I hope uh, to kind of look at it a chapter at a time. As we begin this morning, uh, we'll just confess that the first six chapters of Daniel are probably some of the most familiar chapters um, in the Bible, some of the most familiar narratives in the Bible. Um, And the last six chapters of Daniel are the exact opposite. And what we want to do is we want to bring those together and treat the whole book as if it is a whole book, because it is a whole book, and walk through it piece by piece by piece today. The book of Daniel is not really about a healthy diet. It's not really even a challenge for you to dare to be Daniel. It's not about lions who hang out in a den or a really, really hot furnace. The book of Daniel is the story of God when his people are in exile. The first six chapters of Daniel, or the first six chapters of Daniel capture kind of different narrative snapshots, if you will, of Daniel and his friends. We know them, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then the last six chapters capture uh, some dreams and visions uh, that Daniel has, that we see in chapter one that he is given by God the understanding to interpret. The last six chapters kind of give a picture for those, and, it, and it's prophetic writing. And so we'll address how, how we as modern Christians need to understand prophetic writing when we get there in a few weeks. Uh, but what we see today, what I hope to show today, is all 12 chapters of this book show that God is sovereign over kings and over kingdoms. As we take one step removed from our stewardship emphasis last week and and finalizing that and affirming that, uh, we want to be intentional. When we say that we exist to to glorify God and make disciples among our neighbors and the nations, and, and we believe God is calling us to a vision that by his grace we will see disciples sent, churches strengthened, and communities transformed by the power of the gospel because we as a people, we, we believe the gospel, we obey the Bible, and we live on mission. Uh, what I think Daniel affords us the opportunity is to take all that we've just affirmed as a people and to live in faithful obedience unto God, regardless of the world around us. That Regardless of the world around us, the exile around us, that we will be faithful to obey and to follow God, because God is with his people in all places and at all times. I think we'll see that in Daniel chapter 1. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we begin to walk through it together. Lord Jesus, we come to you and we ask you, Father, by the truth of your word, and Lord, by the power of your spirit, God, as we approach this, yes, familiar text this morning, God, would you open our eyes to faith? God, open our hearts to belief. And God, would you open our our hands to obedience, Father, that we would see you, the truth of your word, come alive within us as we see that God is a God who is present with his people in all times and at all places. So Lord, remind us of that. Grow our trust in you. Increase our faith. 
because of the truth of your word this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Exile. What is exile? A general definition would be exile is when you live in a land that is not your own. It's not a vacation. You're not going there for a week or two to enjoy some holiday by the sea. It's where you live, but where you're not supposed to live, living in a land that is not your own. And, and we, as Christians, we talk often about uh, this earth is not our home. And for us, that's not just a trendy statement. Uh, for us, that's a true statement. That is true. This, this earth is not our home. Regardless of the postage stamp of this earth that you live on, uh, this earth is not our home. That's not just true for Americans. It's true in any earthly citizen. We are in exile here on earth because we were made for and created for a heavenly home forever with our God. And what the book of Daniel shows us, it captures the story of God in the midst of exile. And so for us, where we find ourselves in the course of human history, I believe that in these chapters, we will find in our hearts um, some truths that resonate with us. Not how we live one day when, when, when our country gets worse. No, but how we live faithfully as the people of God today in this moment. We see in Daniel chapter 1 that Daniel was taken to Babylon. Babylon is a real place throughout the Bible. If you read the Bible, you've probably heard it. It's a very popular place that we see throughout the Bible. The first mention of Babylon is found in Genesis chapter 11. Remember the Tower of Babel, right? They tried to build this tower up to the heavens. And do you remember their great sin? Because they wanted to make a name for themselves. So the nation of Babylon was built upon that foundation. The nation of Babylon was built on the foundation and desire for a country to make a name for themselves. You see it referenced all throughout Scripture. The last time that it's mentioned is in Revelation 17, 5. It says, And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the earth's abominations. What we see in the context of Scripture is that Babylon accomplished all that she wanted to accomplish. That she made her name great. She was a fierce force on the face of the earth. Everyone feared her. Her economic system, her political structure, the power that she had, she accomplished it all. And yet what we see in the end times is it left them empty and void and wicked. In Scripture, Babylon is used generally as a warning to those who place their hope in their great country in place of their great God. And the call for us as Christians today is regardless of the world around us, regardless of the citizenship, the earthly citizenship that you have, that home country, we have to remind ourselves that our hearts were made for another home. And Daniel models that well for us. But don't we see it? in our own heart, in our own life, in our own culture, a culture that's enamored with themselves, right? From the way that we pay entertainers and professional athletes, or maybe a really successful businessman who builds a rocket and flies himself into outer space for fun. We're captured by this, right? The desire of our heart is to make a name for ourselves. We want to be famous. We want to have the next best thing. And so you see for us, the people of God, the greatness that we long for in 
our modern-day Babylon is not economic prosperity. It is not cultural influence, power, or prestige. We have to turn to the life of Jesus and look at the model of greatness that he taught us. When teaching his disciples to pray, you remember what he said? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Remember what what else he said about being a servant? He said, "The, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. You see the idea of greatness in the Bible underneath the authority and lordship of Jesus for us captures a different picture. So what Daniel teaches us is this, that the rule and reign of God is not dependent upon who rules the land, right? The rule and reign of God and how he works in our hearts and lives is not dependent upon who rules our land. Psalm 137 verse 4 It's fascinating. It's actually the psalm is talking about how the people of God can worship in Babylon. Psalm 137 verse 4 asks this question. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? It's the question the psalmist asks. It's a question we should ask this morning. How can we sing the song of the Lord in a foreign land? And today I want us to show how Daniel in so many ways is an answer to that question. So Daniel chapter 1, we'll see three things that come out in this chapter that are true of God in exile. One is that God is sovereign in exile. Second, that God gives favor in exile. And third, that God sustains us in exile. Let's begin. I'll read, I'll, I'll, I'll read the first seven verses if you'll follow along with me, beginning in verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, the chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths, teenagers, without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, and learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate, and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belshazzar. Hananiah he called Shadrach. Mishael he called, or Mishael he called Meshach. And Azariah he called Abednego. You probably remember this story from Vacation Bible School when you were a kid, right? Nebuchadnezzar captures Jehoiakim, king of Judah. He brings them to Shinar, the home of his God, the temple of of his God. He tells his servant Ashpenaz to go and get the best and the brightest students that you can find. Those on honor roll, those that were enrolled in AP classes, the star athletes, the best of the best. And the plan was, let's win them to our culture. Let's teach them the the language and the literature of the Chaldeans is what he says in verse 4. Nebuchadnezzar says in verse 5, we will feed them from my table. 
We will educate them in my schools and we will give them my names because I'm going to make them great is what Nebuchadnezzar is thinking. It's fascinating when he changes the names of each one of God's servant, he changes them from a religious name that would have been true based upon their family lineage to a secular name. Daniel, which means God is my judge, name was changed to Belshazzar, which means, O lady goddess Bel, protect the king. Hananiah means Yahweh is gracious, changed to Shadrach, which means I fear the moon god. Mishael means who is what God is, was changed to Meshach, which means who is like the God of all. Azariah, which means Yahweh is my helper. His name was changed to Abednego, which means servant of Nebo. What Nebuchadnezzar was doing here is he was cutting off, or so he thought, the heritage of their faith. He thought, if I could just change their names, if I could just call them something different, then they will be loyal to me and not to their God. Verse 2 says something else that's fascinating, though, that Nebuchadnezzar took articles of worship from their temple and brought them to his own temple. He took them from the temple of the capital G God and brought them to his own temple of his little G God in Shinar. The picture is this, that God's name and glory is being defamed. It's being disrespected. It's being plundered. And for all of us who love the Lord, there should be within us this righteousness that bulls up within us that we want to defend his own cause. Look back at verse 2. How did all this come to be? And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. Nebuchadnezzar didn't take a thing. The Lord gave these things into the hand of a pagan king. How in the world does this make sense? This is not the path that we would chart for the globalization of the name of Jesus. That's how God works, isn't it? What we see here is the God who sends them into exile is showing them that he is sovereign in exile. And the good news for us gathered today is the God who sends you into exile is still sovereign over that exile. Daniel reminds us that the obstacles and details in your life are no match for God. In fact, somehow in the mind of God, they are ordained by him. Whether it's government regulations or personal frustrations, the promise that Daniel teaches us is that God is at work. From legislature of our day, like God's not waiting for the wicked laws of our land to be overturned, to work in the hearts of his people. God is not waiting for your marriage to be perfectly restored before he begins to work in the midst of that brokenness. God is not waiting for your relationships to be fully reconciled and to be perfect and filled with earthly bliss before God begins working in the midst of brokenness. So what that means for our hearts is this. When we say that we believe the Bible, we declare that God is always working in every detail and over every obstacle. 
Why? Because God is with his people in all places and at all times. Why? Because God is working in all places and in all times. Even in these details of exile, where we look and read this story, and in our earthly mind, we would think the, the wheels are falling off the wagon in this moment. But what God is saying, no, 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 no. This is all a part of my perfect plan. And the good news for you is whenever you look at your life and you look at your own life and you think your own wheels are falling off your own wagon, you can trust that God is at work because in exile, God is sovereign. The story continues and we see how in this moment, in exile, God continues to give favor to his people. If you'd follow along with me, I'm going to read verse 8 through 20. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. Verse 9, And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the use of who you were on age? So you would endanger my head with the king, this eunuch asked. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for ten days, is what Daniel says. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. That's faith right there. Verse 14, so he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, it was seen they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine were to drink and gave them vegetables. Verse 17, and as for these youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. That'll be really important in the last six chapters of this book. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that he be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in his kingdom." Daniel resolved. This word is a picture of, of personal faith, of, of personal commitment and conviction not to defile himself. There's much debate on what is meant here by defiling himself. Some have attributed this to not wanting to break Jewish dietary restrictions. Um, it's not really believed that the king would have eaten food that would have broken these restrictions. Maybe some, but not all. So why then would he this defile himself? Second kind of theory is, is some believe that this meat that was served to them would have been first served to idols, but historically that doesn't really add up either. 
Some people believe that Daniel went into Nebuchadnezzar's care as a vegetarian. Um, Good news for most of us, a vegetarian diet was not popular in the Bible, so it should not be popular with us. (laughs) I'm kidding. Uh, That's not really like that. That theory doesn't hold water either. Like the idea of being a vegetarian is not really found. It, It wouldn't have been something they willfully followed. So what then was Daniel protecting himself from being defiled against? Well, one, I don't fully know, but I believe what Daniel and his friends were protecting themselves against, they were intentionally avoiding this luxurious culture that was trying to trap them. They were intentionally saying no to the king's feast because as we have declared in so many songs this morning that he, they were loyal to the king of kings, not to the king's table. You see, in their own hearts and lives, they wanted a continual reminder that they were the people of God in the land of exile and that they were dependent upon God in exile. One of my favorite phrases, I guess, in Southern hospitality is when someone comes into your home and you're showing them around and they're coming over for supper and you say something like, y'all just make yourself at home, right? You said that before. That's such a heartwarming statement, but I don't know if we actually really mean it, but we say it, don't we? Uh, You might should still leave your shoes on, but make yourself at home, right? But that's not true here in exile. What, what, What Daniel and his friends were trying to do was not make themselves at home because they were not at home. Not just they were not at home, they wanted to be reminded of their forever home. And it was in this place that they resolved not to defile themselves. Daniel's resolution was an exercise of faith that in a foreign land, I will not be at home. That drink and food and success will not tempt me because God gives me all that I need. Perhaps at this moment, it's good for us to consider building in routines in our own hearts and lives to remind ourselves that we are dependent upon God and God alone, not the things or the trappings of this world. Maybe we need a little bit of this resolve to remain faithful to who God is calling us to be and what God is calling us to do. Verse 9 says, God gave them favor and compassion Daniel says, test us for 10 days, and and he does test them. And verse 15 says, they were better in appearance, fatter in flesh. Don't miss this. Eating vegetables does not make you fat. Like if you go on a vegetarian diet, you do that to lose weight. What we have in scripture is a miracle that God interceded here. That the God who Daniel was testing, that he was faithful to, that he needed to come through on his behalf in exile, he came through. And when the king looked upon him, he was better in appearance, fatter in flesh, not due to his vegetarian diet. Because God worked on his behalf. I think it's helpful for us to consider here, like if we spend our lives avoiding some of the struggle in exile, I'm afraid that we will also spend our lives missing the favor of God in exile. 
Because our temptation is to run from it, to waste it, to get through it, to buy our time. But what we see here in the nature and character of Daniel in this story is that he was dependent upon God within it. And God, verse 17, God gave him learning and skill. All literature and wisdom, all understanding of visions and dreams, so much so that there were none like them. That he and his friends were ten times better than those who feasted on the king's food because they had remained faithful to the king of kings. Why? Because God gave them. He was with them. He took care of them. It's fascinating. So far in these three verses, we've seen God give three different times. He gave them into the hand of Jehoiakim, the king. He even gave some of the relics of his temple into foreign hands. Second, we see him, that God gave them favor. And he gave them understanding. Aren't we thankful today that our God is a gracious God? He doesn't just love us enough to give us what we need in exile. He loves us enough to give us what we need for all eternity. Found nowhere more beautiful in scripture than John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world that he, what? Gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. You see, in these moments, we stand as recipients of all that God has given to us in his grace. Let's go back to this method. It's curious, isn't it? That Daniel resolved not to eat the king's food. We need not miss the avenue in which Daniel chose to be faithful to God. Daniel did not pass around a petition He did not organize a march. He did not post something on social media. He did not circulate a chain email. He resolved in his heart. He, based upon the convictions uh, God had placed within him, he resolved within his heart to do the right thing. This is not a picture of passivity. It's a picture of confidence. So much confidence that Daniel can look at the king's servant and say, test me. Go ahead, try it out. Try us, 10 days, nothing but vegetables and water, and you be the judge of who God sustains. You see, it's a picture here of confidence that he had that God would show up. And we see it over and over and over and over again in the book of Daniel. It's fascinating that Daniel chose to work within the system He did not rebel against the names that were bestowed upon him. He did not rebel against the educational system that he was forced into. He rebelled against the king's food. And he chose to work within those other secular systems to bring about the work of God within those systems. One commentary this week said it like this. The, little un- the literal understanding is Daniel went to public school, but he did not eat school lunch. <laughs> right? He went to the king's school. That's where he went to learn, but he brought his lunchbox with him. You see, in that, he was resolved. He was committed in his heart, in his faith, to be obedient to God. 
And if we're honest, don't we really want just a really clean and easy answer to God's will this morning? Like, wouldn't we just love it if we stuck our hand in our pocket and we had a, a personal note from God telling us what we needed to do in this specific situation that we're seeking him in? I think what Daniel teaches us is that God works in our faith, right? What we see here is Daniel placing his faith, being resolved in his heart, in his spirit. Why? Because obedience is ultimately a heart posture. And God works. He works in a variety of ways to get the credit for the favor that he bestows, right? Because Daniel knew if he just went and assimilated to culture and just became one of the Chaldeans, how would he stand out? How would he be a a light on a lampstand or a city on a hill? You see, Daniel knew that he had to do something. He had to exercise his faith so that others could see his God. Because the king's food could not get the credit. The king's schools could not get the credit. The only person in this story that can get credit for what happened in Daniel's life was Daniel's God. And you see, that's how he works in your life too. We walk through seasons, we walk through circumstances, some good, some bad, some great, some ugly. But the way in which God works in us and through us, he works in a way so that when we look back on this season, on this circumstance, on this situation, that we look back and the only explanation for that is that God showed up. And that's what Daniel teaches us, that God is with his people in all places and at all times. Third thing we see in chapter one this morning is this, is that in exile, God sustains his people. Chapter one, verse 21, and Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. If you're reading this, it's kind of a curious moment, right? It's almost like the author hit the fast forward button and skipped a few chapters, right? But I thought King Nebuchadnezzar just captured them, and now all of a sudden Daniel's there until the first year of King Cyrus. What we have here is the truth, like one day Cyrus, the king of Persia, would come and and he would conquer King Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. But it would be about 60 years later. From the beginning of chapter 1 to the end of chapter 1. And Daniel kind of sneaks that footnote in to remind us that some of the trials and struggles of our life are lifetime struggles. You see, Daniel was in Babylon his entire life, and yet he was faithful to God. God is showing in Daniel that from the time one king ruled until another, that God sustained Daniel, that God was with Daniel. We often wish our time in exile was more like a microwave than a crockpot, don't we? You just throw the bag in there, push the little button, and it'll ding, and hopefully you didn't burn the popcorn. It's not like that, right? It's not just a transactional experience. Like God in life, he's working, he's sanctifying, he's growing, he's stretching us. And what God teaches Daniel and what he teaches us is that in those seasons, like in those moments, like God's there. He's sustained that he's, he's keeping us, that Daniel would spend his entire life 
in exile. But what we see about Daniel's life in the book that bears his name is that he lived his entire life in exile, yes, but he lived his entire life in exile faithful to God. That he was sustained by the mighty hand of God. It did not matter Nebuchadnezzar's plan for Daniel, right? Nebuchadnezzar tried to isolate Daniel, remove him from the worship of God and the people of God. And who did Daniel cling to? His friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So Nebuchadnezzar's plan of isolation wouldn't work. Nebuchadnezzar had this plan of indoctrination, right? He would teach them the language language and culture of the Chaldeans. But Daniel resolved in his heart to be pure before God. Nebuchadnezzar tried to give them a new identity, tried to give them a new name. But Daniel remained faithful to God. Why? Because God was sustaining him. And when we look at his life now, we see that God literally sustained every single moment of Daniel's life. We see it, and we'll see it again in the next few chapters, in the next few weeks together. What is God teaching in this moment? What is God showing his people, the gathered church, February 20th, 2022, that God rules and reigns in and over the kings and kingdoms of this world? From Nebuchadnezzar to Cyrus, from Babylon to Persia, God sustains his people. We could trace this thought all the way through the nations that this world has known, one after one after one. You could read any history book that you could find in any classroom in the United States today. And what you can see is kings come and kings go. Kingdoms come and kingdoms go. But this little footnote in verse 21 reminds us that God sustains his people, that God rules and reigns over the hearts and lives of men, and God rules and reigns over the kings and kingdoms of this world. George Washington to John Adams, God rules and he reigns. John Adams to Thomas Jefferson, God rules and he reigns. From Thomas Jefferson to James Madison, God rules and he reigns. I could keep going, but I'd have to have you sing the song so I can remember them all in order. The point is this, church. I think about my own life. George Bush to Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton to George W. Bush. George W. Bush to Barack Obama. Barack Obama to Donald Trump and Donald Trump to Joe Biden. God rules over the kings and kingdoms of this world. God rules and reigns when America will be a footnote in history. God remains unchanged. And this is what Daniel reminds us of today, church, that we can hope and trust in the Lord because the people of God outlast the kingdoms of man. And that, church, that is what we're called to put our faith in. Kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall. But our God stands the same yesterday, today, and forever. When your pain and when your struggle comes back, God rules and he reigns. 
When cancer returns and you don't know what to do again, God rules and he reigns. When relationships are broken and broken and broken and there is no healing in sight, God rules and God reigns. When addiction comes, you thought you'd beat it, but here it comes again. And you're caught. You don't know what to do. You don't know the way out. God rules and he reigns. When temptation comes knocking at your door tomorrow, remember God rules and God reigns. The people of God outlast the kingdoms of man. And Daniel is a reminder for us, church, that God is working. Even in this moment, whatever that moment looks like in your heart, whatever that moment looks like in your life, he is sovereign, but he's not absent. He's giving you favor, right? When you can't see him, when you don't hear him, he is giving you favor. He's giving you what you need. And if this is something you take to your grave, and you walk faithfully unto God every day of your life on your deathbed, you'll look back and say that God sustained me every day of my life. Daniel chapter 1 teaches us to take heart because when the world is at its worst, God is at his best. And the kingdom of heaven cannot and will not be shaken The one true God, this is hope for our hearts this morning, that the one true God orchestrates the events of our lives for the good of his people. That today we can sit and we can study and we can worship in Daniel chapter one and we can trust that God is working for our good. I was struck this week in my study how many times in Daniel chapter one we see the picture that God giving things to his people. It's almost like he knew that we would be reading this thousands of years later and that we would be reminded of the graciousness of, of God continuing towards us. That God has given to us his son, right? And that promise is this, so that you can place your faith in him today. Like you Wherever you are in this room, listening online, here's the promise of scriptures that you can place your faith in him today. And when your faith is in him, your faith is in a kingdom that will never falter. Your faith is in a kingdom that will never be shaken. And that decision is yours today. If you turn from your sin and to your savior. For the rest of us, church, we need to be reminded that we can be faithful in exile because God is present in exile. He is sovereign. He's ruling. He's, he's working. He's giving us all that we need, and he is sustaining our every breath. God is a God who is with his people in all times and in all places. Let's pray together as we close. Lord Jesus, we're thankful for the reminder of the truth of your word that the people of God outlast the kingdoms of man. 
And so, Lord, as we draw to a close, Father, as we reflect and respond, God will do so in a song that points us, directs us to think and reflect upon your sovereignty. Father, what the enemy means for, for evil, God, you turn it for our good. And that's the hope of Scripture. And that's the hope of the relationship that we have with you. And so, Lord, we are, are called in these moments to respond in faith and obedience. And so, Lord, as we do, I pray that deep within our hearts, God, you would stretch us. Father, grow us. Father, make us more dependent upon you. God, grow our resolve. Father, grow our faith. Lord, that we could trust that you are a God who is with his people in all places and at all times. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.